Today we are continuing our series called Blended, where we are looking at the sacred acts that we practice as believers, and we're investigating, one, what those look like, how those should be lived out in our lives. We are also taking time to uncover the truth about these practices, right? And looking at how we let those sacred acts live out and become a part of our everyday lives. Because the truth is, God doesn't just want our faith to be part of a, of a small portion of our lives. He wants us to be part of everything that we do. He doesn't want us to, to separate our personal and prayer life. He doesn't want us to worship him only on a Sunday. He doesn't want us to just get baptized and then go on living the same life we used to live prior to receiving that new life in him. And so God wants to be mixed up in our entire lives. And he wants us to be mixed up in the lives of others as well. We're getting ready to be in a season. We're already in it, really, where we're going to get mixed up in other people's lives. School's back, right? We got sports kicking off this fall. Our, 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 our students are playing football and soccer and tennis and cross country. This is just to name a few of those things. Those are the ones I know about, right? My son's playing soccer. My other son's doing some tennis stuff. Like, we're doing different things. It's that time of year where our weekends are going to begin to get filled up of either going and playing games, right, or we're going to be going and cheering on someone doing something athletic. College sports are kicking back off, right? I'm sure all of you Bengals fans are eager to see the beginning of the NFL season, right? Is Joe Burrow going to be back in time? Who knows? Right? I don't know. You're sitting on the edge of your seat in anticipation of this. Sports can be an amazing thing. Hear me. For some people, sports, they bring large groups of people together in solidarity. See, when the Reds were playing well this summer, you saw Cincinnati was rallying around them. Families gather together, right, on Friday or Saturday when it's really hot, and they watch football games, right? They cheer on the team to victory. Yet sports can be really divisive as well. We love our team, and inevitably that means we hate another team. I can tell you, I love the Reds. I've been a Reds fan since I was a kid. I can admit to you, I hate the Cubs. And I also hate the Cardinals and the Brewers and the Pirates. <laughs> Why do I hate them? Why? Because they are our rivals. If they win, that, doesn't, that makes it hard for us to win. And so in a place where people come together, there is immense amounts of division. The same actually, unfortunately, is true in our churches sometimes. You see, the church, as it was designed, was supposed to be about Jesus' mission for us. To go and tell others about him. To baptize them in his name. To disciple them or teach them how to live like Jesus. And yet, not many centuries after Jesus' death, not that far removed from him leaving this earth in the hands of us, have we let the church become a place that is divided over things. We're divided over how we worship, how we pray, how we live our everyday lives in faith. How do we treat people that we don't see eye to eye with? All of these things have have started to get into the church and, and mess up what the original plan was. And this is sad, and we should lament this, and we think to ourselves, where did we go wrong? How did we mess this up? 
what we're going to find here, guys, is that Jesus is not surprised because he was one of us. He came and lived as a person, as a human. He came and experienced what people deal with. Listen, he created us. He knows us so deeply and so intimately, and he knows that at our root, we oftentimes are a divisive, selfish people. And so before he left his disciples, Jesus made it a point to give them something, to give all of us something that was meant to unify us in a special way. He gave us the act of communion. And today we're going to look at how this sacred act is designed to create a space to bridge the divides in this world and how Jesus intends for us to remember together. That's our big idea for today. Remember together. Now, communion, if you don't know what this is, here, I'll, let me tell you a little bit. It was a, it was a meal. It was something that happened in a meal that Jesus shared with the disciples at something called the Last Supper. This was the last meal that he celebrated with his disciples before his death and before his resurrection. And at this, they are actually celebrating when they came together in this meal something called the Passover. The Passover meal, which, which dates back long before Jesus was here on earth. It dates back to the Old Testament, back to Moses, back in Exodus, when the, the Jewish people were enslaved by the Egyptians. This was a meal that God called them together to, to celebrate because he was going to pass over their families as he, as he took from anyone who didn't believe their firstborn children. And so God said, I will pass over you. I will, and this is why they call it the Passover. This, was, this pointed to their freedom. And so he took something that his followers were familiar with, this meal that they celebrated regularly, and he transformed it into a remembrance for him. See, communion is a time that we take to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. But it is also done in a meal that is shared in community. We often lose sight of that together aspect of communion. So today we're gonna to make sure we focus on that. I want you, if you've got your Bibles or a Bible app, I'd love for you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians. It's in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, listen, that's okay. The words will be on the screen here in just a minute, but I do wanna make sure you know, like we have Bibles at the hub out in the center of the lobby that we want to give to you and you get to keep and, and we want you to have that to take home, to bring with you, whatever. We want to put a Bible in your hand if you don't have one. Now, Corinthians, this, this book of Corinthians, and we're gonna be in chapter 11. Corinthians was a letter that was actually written by a guy named Paul to a group of believers in the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth, at the time that Paul wrote this, was filled with all kinds of divisions. And they were much more serious than sports rivalries, okay? There were divisions over religious convictions, how they were doing faith. There were cultural divisions because there were multiple different cultures and backgrounds. And today, what we're going to see Paul address is class divisions. People were mistreating other people because they were of a different social or economic class than them. Now, I want you to know that there is always going to be diversity in the church. That can be a good thing. There should be diversity of age and background and class and race. These things should be there. But there's also diversity in our preferences that sometimes can muddy the waters. 
Diversity in the convictions that we have over secondary matters. Diversity over the political approaches that we have in our lives, right? Our way we live. I want you to know, faith in Jesus is not a socially or culturally unified thing. It's not one social group or culture that celebrates Jesus. It's many different ones. But I want you to also know that that unity in faith should be able to overcome all of those divisions and diversities. And for the Corinthians, what Paul's going to tell them is the one place that that should have been displayed, that unity should be fully on display, was coming together around the Lord's table. But Paul points out that's not happening. And so we're going to look here in, verse, in chapter 11, starting in verse 17. This is what Paul writes to them. He says, In the following direct, directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. If you're not picking up on it, let me just tell you, Paul's not happy. Okay? <laughs> He's like, y'all, I don't even like you. He's not happy. Why is he unhappy? Because what he sees here, what Paul is talking about, is classism. You see, unlike now, and let me just explain it to you so you understand what, what's happening. Unlike now, the church back then did not exist in a building like this. They met in people's homes. They would go around, they would, someone in the, in the town would say, hey, come to my home. We're going we're gonna to have church, basically, okay? And so they would go to these homes, and what would oftentimes happen is they would come together for a time of worship, and they would have a meal together. Okay, listen, communion would be happening as a part of a larger meal that they shared together. That was actually the original design of communion, to happen within a larger meal that happens. Now, these homes that they would go to would typically be the homes of wealthy people, the higher class people. One, because they had larger homes, they had space for that, but also because they were the ones inviting people in. And the reality is, at that time, the wealthiest people were not working as often. They had people doing the work for them. They were making money on things that they didn't have to work hard. So they would invite everyone in, and so the lower class and, and middle class and upper class people would come to their homes. But what would happen is, the, those low, middle and lower class people are having to work all day before they go to these homes... And the wealthy are like, hey, I'm just hanging out, y'all. First of all, it's a Saturday. It's not a Sunday. They didn't have days off back then either. There were no weekends. We're, we're so used to like, oh, I only work Monday through Friday. These people worked every day of the week except for Saturday. So they would take Saturday evenings off because that was the Jewish custom, and so they kind of stuck to that. And they would come together in this place, but the wealthy would have been there for hours before these other classes would get there. And they would all gather around these tables and so these people would come in after they'd been, all these people had been there forever and there would be no place at the table for them. And the wealthy would be like, oh, well, we just didn't have room. You didn't get here on time. But the reality is they didn't want them at the table. They didn't make room for them. 
And so they would take this communion together, and this lower class of people did not get to celebrate in the communion meal together because there was no place for them at the table. And Paul is saying, that's not right. That's not why we do this. And so he's going to have to teach the Corinthians. He's going to take a second here to teach the Corinthians about what the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus teaches us about what, why they're doing is wrong, about what's important about this communion meal together. Because Paul is saying, remember together. Look at this as he goes on in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Paul starts out here by pointing something out that I think we need to remember when we take communion. And communion is all about proclamation. It's all about proclamation. See, we need to be proclaiming that Jesus is the Lord of our lives. But we also proclaim other things in the way that we, pro we talk about that. Paul said that when Jesus offered this cup and this bread, he said, this is my body broken for you, my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. See, Jesus is asking us when we take the communion to proclaim his death every single time. We proclaim that he died for us, that his blood covered our sins. And as a result, we proclaim a few things. Look at this. Communion proclaims the need to be saved. It proclaims the need to be saved, first and foremost. We need a Savior. See, last week, if you were here, we talked about repentance. Repentance is that change of ways, that change of heart, to looking to God for the, the new path that you should be upon. And it says, but we've messed up, and we can't do this on our own. We've made mistakes. And there is no other way but through Jesus. That we cannot find a way to this through Jesus, right? But we need to be saved. Now, you may sit here and think, and again, I hear this, I, I understand this, and you don't think, hey, I don't think that there's any other way than Jesus. I don't see any other way to Jesus, but I would challenge you today. Just think about how you live. Because if you live in a way where you think that you are following all the rules and doing good things that will get you into heaven, then you are looking for another way. If you think that the way you practice your faith as far as like how you do things sitting in this building or the right songs that you sing or that we do, we pray this way and not that way, if you think that's what gets you favor with God, you're looking for another way. If you think that being better than someone else and not sinning as bad as they did will get you more favor in the kingdom, you are looking for another way. Jesus, when he was faced with his death, said to his father, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup be taken from me. And God did not respond to him, well, there is another way, this is just the one we're going with. That's not what he said. There was only one way to the Father, 
and it was through Jesus' sacrifice. And so when we take communion, what we are doing is we are proclaiming, I need to be saved. And there's no other way for me to be saved. And then that leads to this. Communion proclaims that we can be saved. That's an important thing. We need to be saved, and communion says, and we can be. Jesus did not add any qualifiers to you when he said, this is my body which is broken for you. He didn't say, if you do this, this is for you, if. He did just, this is for you. There is no amount of sin or shame or avoidance that prohibits you from salvation. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus said, Come and eat. He's saying, Come and eat. Whoever is hungry or thirsty, whoever believes in me, if you are a whoever, and guess what? We all are. The salvation is for you. Even if you don't go to the same church as me, even if you are addicted to substances, a single mother, even if you're rich, poor, middle class, even if you work in an office or a construction site, even if you're living in a different way than me or vote a different way than me, we are all invited into this relationship with Jesus. Jesus says there is a place at this table for you. Whoever you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've come from, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what kind of failures or struggles you bring into the moment, Jesus saved you a seat at his table, and he invites you to sit with him. It feels good to get invited to the table, doesn't it? It feels nice to be invited, to get an invitation to go to someone's house, to sit with a group of people at lunch, to go out to dinner with friends or coworkers. It feels nice to be invited, right? To not be forgotten. That's the invitation that Jesus gives to every single one of us. And it's an invitation that he asks us to give to others. Come to the table with us. Whoever you are, come experience the good news of Jesus. Remember together That's not the last thing we proclaim. Communion also proclaims that death is not the end. In that 1 Corinthians passage in verse 26, Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In other words, communion looks forward in hope to the world that's yet to come. Listen, we get to experience God's kingdom right now. Jesus brought that with him into this place. We get to experience that right now. And we have the promise of what is yet to come. Jesus says, I will return again. See, in this world, world, good people will live with hardship. That happens because sin entered into this world. Sin came into this world. Darkness came into this world. And it has ruined what God had originally designed. And it makes hardship happen whether we follow God or not. People will struggle with poverty. They will struggle with illness, with need, with conflict. 
And in the end, our mortal bodies, this physical body will succumb to death. But the communion table proclaims poverty is not the end. Sickness is not the end. Conflict is not the end. Death is not the end. As surely as Jesus rose, he will return again. See, our hardship, like Jesus' cross, is part of God's good plan to bring salvation into the world. The good news of Jesus says you're not going to be poor forever. Jesus will return in triumph, and then you'll feast at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It says to the oppressed, those being held down, those being mistreated because of who they are or where they came from, it says you won't be oppressed forever. The righteous judge, Jesus, will return and make all things right. To the lonely and those who feel abandoned, it says, I have gone to prepare a place for you, and I'm coming to take you home to be with me. Finally, the communion table proclaims that we are a community of the forgiven. I love this idea of community. Not only are we forgiven, which is amazing, right? In and of itself, it's an amazing thing. But it says that we are a community of the forgiven. Truthfully, nowhere should the unity of the church be seen more profoundly than when we take communion together. When we come to this table, this proverbial table that Jesus talks about, where we come together and celebrate and remember and proclaim what he did for us. The word communion itself makes it clear. Communion actually comes from a Latin word, communis. And the word is where we get words like common and community and to commune together, right? That's the base of this communion word. So a communion is about coming together, about being in common, to have a common goal. See, when we hold the bread and the cup, we are reminded of our common identity. First and foremost, lost sinners who have been redeemed. And so as a result, we forget the things we have different from others. There should be no religious pride at this table. My way of doing things is better than the way your church does things. Jesus' blood was the only hope for the best of us and a, and a, and a real hope for the worst of us. At the table, we all recognize at our core that we are all sinners that God saved. Pride should not exist around this table. There should be no classism at this table. Your financial or social standing should not matter at this table. See, because I mentioned it earlier, that, that meal that he was having with his disciples was at the, the Passover meal, which we talked about, was something that the Jews celebrated to remember their, their freedom from Egypt, that God had not forgotten them. And they remembered, when they remember these things, that there were no classes of slaves in Egypt. There were no rich slaves or poor slaves or good-looking slaves or ugly slaves. It was just slaves who needed to be freed. In God's eyes, 
We are all poor, wretched, helpless, and blind when he came to save us. And as a result, these divisions shouldn't be there. Racial divisions should have no place around this table. Men and women of all backgrounds and races are made in the image of God. I need you to hear that. We are all created with attributes and characteristics of our Father in heaven. He made us. He made us in his image. And so when you look in the eyes of another person, male, female, black, white, whatever it is, you are looking into the eyes of God. At our most fundamental level, we are the human race. We all have the same problem, which is sin. We all only have one hope, the blood and resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus died as the representative of all the sons and daughters of Adam, of those who came after Adam. And when he was raised from the dead, he wasn't raised as a Jew or a Greek or a white man or a black man. He was raised as the Lord of all humanity. The blood of Jesus is the only hope for the best of us and the certain hope for the worst of us. The blood destroys religious pride. It destroys classism. It destroys racial divisions. Remember together. This is what communion should do. It should bring us together. In the book of Acts, when the first church was gathering, this is the first church that came together after Jesus had left. They came together to worship Jesus for the first time, and we get to see what the intent of that community looked like. Look at this in Acts 2. He says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, this is the closest people to what the church ought to look like. There wasn't a lot of time here for pride or racism or classism or opinions or hatred or so much more of that stuff that we've let get mixed into the church and muddied up what we're supposed to be doing. What did they do? It says they gathered together, they fellowshiped, they ate together, they gave heartily to each other. They praised God. And notice the words that, that was used there. They had everything in common. Now, do you think all these people really were exactly alike? No. There were men and women and children and young and old and Jewish and Gentile and all kinds of different backgrounds. What they had in common was the saving blood of Jesus. That's the beauty of communion. It binds us together rather than divide us up. And when we do this together, we're only able to do it because of Jesus. But we, but we need to do this together as he asks. I know that may be a challenge to some people. Again, like other sacred acts, like prayer, or reading scripture, or repentance, we may have treated this as something personal. Like, oh, you know, this is just for me. I can take this alone. 
I could sit in this moment and just forget everybody else and then just focus on Jesus' sacrifice. Here, I want you to know, reflect on those things. That's a good thing. Reflect on Jesus' sacrifice. That's what he tells us to do. But he definitely did not tell us to do this alone. We should gather regularly. And listen, I don't care if it's weekly or monthly or quarterly. Yeah, they were meeting weekly. This is why we at White Oak practice this communion meal together weekly. That doesn't mean that you can't do it in a different way. It doesn't mean it can be not done that way. These are silly things that Jesus didn't care about. He said, do this in remembrance of me. That's what's more important. And when we gather together, how often, however often that is, we need to remember that sacrifice. Share a meal together. Proclaim Jesus' saving power. Remember together. And we may be tempted to only let this happen on a Sunday morning. It makes sense. I get it. Because this is the time we come together, right? We come together in this moment. And this is a great place to do it. We are all together. And, and, and praise the Lord for it. Yet this is not the only time that we can remember this sacrifice. This can happen in any place. Jesus and the first church weren't in a building that they had consecrated for holy use. Remember? They're in homes. They were in other people's homes. So why can't we remember Jesus' work that he did for us in every other place in our lives? Every time we gather for dinner with our family, remind each other what Jesus did for us. And I'm, saying, I'm preaching this one for me. Hear me. I, I pray with my family over dinner. My boys, we have dinner together and we'll pray but I, don't, I can honestly tell you, I don't do a great job of saying, hey, we need to remember to my wife, to my boys, we only have this time together and a future hope because of what Jesus did for us. If we're with our friends, I know it's, maybe it's awkward, I don't care. Take a moment and just stop to remember we can challenge others to remember. That's why we're gathering tonight over a meal. Yeah, we got this family dinner happening tonight here at White Oak at 5 o'clock. And it's going to be fun. But we're also going to remember together. We aren't going to let this moment pass. This is an opportunity for us as we're together just to have community together. That's one of our core values here. We come together because God calls us to come together and remember why we're in community. You can register to join us tonight on our website. You go to dwocc.com. You'll find it there. If you, if you still haven't registered, bring a chair, bring a blanket, something to sit on. We're going to be outside out here in the back. Bring something to share for sure. I want to try your food. But we're going to remember. We're going to take this time. We're going to say, hey, we may not take communion. We're going to do that this morning. But we're, not going to, but we're, going, to, we're going to make sure you know we're there because... Of our, of our Savior. We're there together because of what he did for us. Because that's what Jesus did with the first disciples. Right now, I want us to do this together. So get out your communion if you got it this morning as you were coming in. If you didn't get it, um, listen, there's a table in the back of the room here by the doors in the center. We've got communion on the table there in baskets. Go ahead and pick that up. I want everybody who, who wants to get it to be able to get that.
Because today, I, I want to invite all followers of Jesus to join together in this moment. And, and you may be here, listen, you may be here today, and, and you're not sure what you believe, okay? And you've been given this, and you're like, I don't really know what this is. I don't take this. I, I, I don't get it. I, I'm not even sure what I believe about Jesus at this point. I, I just want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. You don't have to take this. There's no pressure here. We're not trying to make people take this who don't understand it or don't know what it is. This is something believers do together. And so if you're in this moment and you're not sure what you believe, it's okay for you to just sit back and reflect and just and kind of listen. And if you want to talk about Jesus, you want to talk about what he may be doing in your life, and, you're, and maybe you're ready to take that step, you're ready to give your life over to him, then I would encourage you, we're going to sing a song in a few minutes after we do this. Come down and pray with me or one of the prayer team. Let's pray with you. Again, there's no pressure here. This is a sacred thing. It is sacred what we're doing. This is something Jesus called us to do. We need to reflect on that. I think every week we come in here and we take this, and you may have gotten, and hear me, I've done it. I've been there. You may have gotten in a place where you thought, I, I don't even know why I do this anymore. It's just a thing I do every Sunday, and I don't really get it. I want you to remember every, every time you take this, what it is. Yeah, I get it. It's a package in a little package. It doesn't seem real sacred, right? It's not about what's inside of here. It's about what's inside of here. It's about what Jesus did for you. You can take this time to remember every week why you need Jesus. That's what we're proclaiming. Maybe you're struggling with that. Maybe you're not in the right place with God and, you don't, and you're not sure that you trust him. Again, there's no pressure. If you don't feel right taking this, don't take it. Get your heart right. That's okay. You're still welcome at his table. He still wants you there. For those of you that believe, I just want you to take a moment. Because we're here together. We are in this moment together. And I want you to realize you're not alone taking this. Look around you. There's people all around you in this room. All races, all genders, all backgrounds, all classes, all ages. Yet we are all in common. We all have a Savior in Jesus Christ. That's what we remember today. We're proclaiming we need Jesus. We can be saved. We're, he's done the work on our behalf. When he was with them at the table, he said, this, is, this bread is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. then after they had eaten, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you as the sign of the new covenant. Take and drink. Heavenly Father, Every time we drink 
and eat communion, Lord, we are reminded of the sacrifice you made for us. We're reminded that you came off your throne, you came down to this world, you lived as one of us, you lived a life honoring God, and then you chose to give that life over for ours. You shed your blood, your body was broken. We need you, Lord. Only through you can we, can we ever be saved. Remind us of that every day. Don't let us forget that, Lord. Remind us to every single day to take a moment to remember what you've done for us as we take a meal together. Remind us, Lord, we need each other as we focus on you. There is no divisions here, Lord. We are your children, and that is good enough. Thank you for Jesus, and we pray all of this in his name. Amen.